Good morning. Thought I'd warm up for the homeless shelter move on the 27th by moving this table over here. Um, no, Happy New Year to you guys. You know, so, you know, I thought we would start the day off or the, the morning off with some New Year's resolutions since that's what everybody does on New Year's, right? So I've got the top 14 that I came across this week and so I thought I'd just share those with you, all right? So number 14 is stop drinking orange juice after I've just brushed my teeth. Now, this next one I love because I think you'd only do it once, but stop licking frozen flagpoles. And the next one, this would be so nice for some of us, go back to school to avoid paying my student loans off. And then uh, number 11 is only eat white snow. So some of you got that. All right. (laughs) And 10, I will spend less than $1,825 on coffee at Starbucks this year. That was not me. Okay, I love coffee, but that wasn't me. All right, I will pick fewer internet fights. Anybody? Yeah, this, I, I know which ones pick those fights now. They, they laughed. Okay, okay I, fini- I will finish all the DIY projects I started and abandoned in 2023. Susan, you did not hear that. So, <laughs> all right, and then um, let's see, number seven is where we are. I will learn a language that I never planned to use. <laughs> And number six is, I will dance like no one is looking when I am in a public place. You won't catch me doing that. Number five, I will use every single senior discount offered this year. For those of you that that applies to. And here's another one for you guys. I will don an Oculus headset and beat my grandchildren at their favorite game. So that would be something to watch. And then the top three, boom, here they come. Number three, always replace the gas nozzle before driving away from the pump. That wasn't me either. I may have put unleaded in a diesel, but I haven't driven away with the hose. So, <laughs> and number two, I resolved not to swim in any swimming pool without water. Take that as you may. And number one, I resolved to stop poisoning my family with my cooking. So <laughs> hopefully you guys don't have anybody in your house that's poisoning you with their cooking. So, but you know, since... You've been wished Happy New Year's two or three times this morning. I suppose you're thinking, yeah, we're going to get a sermon on out with the old and in with the new. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So, um, <laughs> so no surprise. So we're going to start that out here. You know, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners and that because of our sins, we are separated from God. You know, but here's the cool thing. Jesus loves us. God loves us. And he has a wonderful plan for our life. And he sent Jesus Christ to come to this earth to be the living sacrifice to take the payment for that sin. And the Bible tells us that all we have to do is to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. You know, if we ask him to forgive us of our sins and to become the Lord of our life, he will. And if we do that, then the Bible says that we are saved. We go from the old sinful ways to the new ways that are embedded in life and in light and in truth. And that's from the old to the new there. There it is. You guys have a great 2024, and we'll see you next year, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's a lie, because really, I'm not kidding. Because that gospel that we so firmly believe and that we so fervently want other people to know is what today's scripture is all about. And without that plan of God and without Jesus Christ, these scriptures would not have even been written. And without that plan and without God's love, we would never be changed. 
and we would still be lost in hopeless abandon and confusion and desolation because we would be in the hands of the enemy. But thank you to our Lord that he loved us enough to make a way for us to start new again. And so today we're going to talk about the Magi. You know, and, and the Magi is kind of an obscure thing in Scripture. I think there's more folklore and tells and false, you know, things of what they are than what we hear of what they really are. And really, we don't know a whole lot about them because there's not a lot said about them. There's only one gospel that mentions them, and that's Matthew. And he doesn't even tell us who they are. But there are a couple things that we, you know, could know. We don't know much except for the fact that they were men and they were from the east. The Bible tells us the wise men and they came from the east. But there are some speculations that have come about about them over the last many hundreds of years or thousands of years, whatever you want. And um, they, they think that they possibly could have traveled between 800, 900, or even more miles to get to Bethlehem House. Or Bethlehem House, that's where my wife used to work. Um, Bethlehem, and that's a long ways. When you think about it, when you're traveling on camels or donkeys and horses, eight to 900 miles is a long way. For me, it's a long way in a car, all right? Most likely, they knew the writings of Daniel because he was a well-known uh, in Babylonian history. He was a wise man, and they also probably knew the prophecy of Balaam, who was from um, Pethor in the Euphrates River, which was in Persia. So they would have been familiar with him. And the number of wise men is not mentioned to Matthew, but an Armenian infancy gospel says that was written around 500 A.D., says that their names were Melchon, the king of Persia, Gaspar, the king of India, and Baldassar, the king of Arabia. So in a document that wasn't even from the Bible, we had somebody that listed the names of who they were. Don't know if that's true or not, but that was just something that some people have taken over the years as, as being fact. But we also have a Syriac manuscript that suggests the Chinese... Um, that the wise men were from China, and they were practitioners of the Chinese mystic arts, which I find kind of hard to believe, because why would someone who's steeped in mystic arts and in another religion be looking for truth in a religion outside of theirs? Um, and few scholars actually think this is likely, but that was just one that came up when I was looking for things on the wise men. Another thing is some have, come, um, some have them coming from the Nabithans, which is in modern Syria, or Jordan. And so um, there's so many ideas. Probably the most likely, um, which most of the, the scholars believe and which I think is probably the, the closest, is they were a class of Persian priests who were highly revered by the kings of Persia. You know, the Jewish philosopher Philo wrote this. He said, among the Persians, there is a body of magi who investigating the world of nature for the purpose of becoming acquainted with the truth do at their leisure become initiated themselves and initiate others in the divine virtues by very clear explanations. And I think that's probably the best one. I think these guys were seeking out truth. And I think that through their study and through the years of them trying to find this, that God decided to reveal to them the truth. And as a result, we start this journey. So another thing that's been speculated about is not only the wise men, but also the star. You know, and there are some way out things out there, but I'm just going to tell you a couple of them. The first one is they speculate that maybe it could have been Halley's Comet. 
You know, but that seems highly unlikely because when we look for Halley's Comet, if you've ever seen it, which not many people get the chance, it's only in the sky for a brief time, for so many nights, and then it's gone for however long, all right? So it, it really could not be what they needed. The star was said to disappear, reappear, and move as the, as the Magi did. And so the second one they thought it could be, somebody threw out, is a supernova, a, a star collapsing and inside of itself. And, but again, that would be something that we would only see at certain times and for a short period. It wouldn't be something that would last or be able to move or provide guidance like they needed it. And then the third thing that's kind of out there is it's a conjunction of planets. But this really isn't plausible because who here has seen Mars? I mean, anybody ever seen Mars at night when it shows up? It's just a really bright, looks like a star, but it's brighter than most of them. And it's only in a certain part of the sky for so many hours, for so many nights, and then it's gone. And so if they were planets that were in alignment or a conjunction like that, it pro I don't see how it could have lasted the whole time. I mean, God can do anything, but also he has... Science, he has an uh, order of things, and that probably would not fall into his order. But other people have said that um, maybe it is a supernatural light, and I think that's probably true. You know, um, If we look at it, in the verse it says that we followed his light, or we saw his light in Matthew 2. And if they were following his light, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world, could it possibly have been the light of Christ that they were following. Or another aspect is maybe it was the Shekinah glory of God the Father. But either way, we know that God put that there supernaturally so that they would be able to follow it to where Christ was born, so that his plan would be able to be honored and to be glorified. And so with some of these things we may not know until we can see God face to face and we can ask him, who were the wise men? What was that light? Why did you do it that way? There's so many things in Scripture that, um, that are like that where we so want to know, but maybe we will not know. So the reality is this. We do not know what the star truly was, and we do not know who the Magi were or where they hailed from. But there are some things that we do know. The things that we do know are Jesus did not look like or live like a king, but the Magi still knew that he was the king. They did not visit Jesus at the stable, but they visited him in a house. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing, didn't it? So, in a house, on a boat, with a goat, you know, but that's all right. So, they visited Jesus in a house. We know that they followed a star. We don't know what star, but they said his star, so we just assume that it's his star. They worshiped Jesus, and they gave him gifts. And then they also visited Jesus sometime in his first one or two years of life. And we know that because around that time, Herod sent his soldiers out to kill all the, kid, the male children that were two years old or younger in Bethlehem. And those are the things we do know. And from the things we do know, we can deduce a few things. And the things we can deduce are they were smart. They were called wise men. They were magi, which by just the definition of the word alone are super smart individuals that are always seeking for more truth and more in knowledge. They could have stemmed from the wise men of Babylon, whom Daniel was in charge of at one time, we know that they were rich because the gifts they brought were very expensive and they had to travel great distances and to travel that far, you had to have the money. We know that they were seekers of truth through the study of history and, and of culture. And we know that they had power and influence because they were able to get an audience with Herod and not just anybody could do that. 
there were most likely more than three wise men traveling. One, it would have been dangerous to travel all that way across all those lands with just three guys on a camel. But them being rich and having you know, position and authority, they probably each had a whole entourage that came. And who knows? Maybe there were six wise men. Maybe there were five. You know, we don't know how many. We just know that they were wise men that came. We assume there are three because there were three gifts given. Um, but those are the things we can assume. But other than that, other than assume, we can see what the Magi have to show us. And that's what we're going to talk about today is what the Magi have to show us. So we're going to read out of the second chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. I brought my bigger Bible with the bigger lettering today so I could see it. And if I still can't see it, I printed it off in really big letters. So, um, so here we go. So Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. And when it rose and have come, when it rose and have come to worship him, when Herod the king of here we go, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them as to what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for, my, for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you right now. And Lord, I just ask that you would drop a veil in front of me. And Lord, that what is heard today would be you and be your word and not me. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts so that we would be able to hear your word and what you have for us. Lord, we're just asking for a divine message from you. We're asking just for you to touch us today with your scripture. It's in your son's most holy name we pray. Amen. So what can we learn or what can the Magi show us? The first thing that the Magi can show us is that we should be open to God's leading. And when I talk about open to God's leading, we want to take a look at, at the Magi. We have people here that do not know anything about Jesus, that do not worship God or our God, and yet they see a star, and they know from their readings and their studies that this star is leading them to where the king of the Jews is going to be born, or where he is supposed to be. 
they are willing and open to follow leading of God, even though they don't really know him. And they are directed not only to find Jesus, but after they find him, they are open to God's leading again when he, in a dream, says, do not go back Herod's way. Go a different way. And they could have said, oh, that's just a dream. We're going to go to Herod and tell him where Jesus is, but they didn't. They decided to go home a different direction. They decided to be open to the leading of God. They went another way. Um, just a little story about going another way. When I was in sixth grade, we moved to a new neighborhood, and there were three boys in that neighborhood that some, for some reason decided they didn't like me. And so they tormented me for the whole sixth grade year. They would make fun of me. They'd poke at me after a little while of doing that, and they got tired of that, so they would start pushing me and, and hitting me and... You know, I'd try to avoid it or whatever. And they would get off the bus stop on their stop and they would run across the neighborhood and get to my stop four or five stops later so they could be there to torment me when I got there. And it was not fun. And I don't remember if it was a parent or a teacher or a friend that one time said, you know, if they're giving you a hard time, why don't you get off at a different bus stop and walk home? And I thought, I'm not getting off at a different bus stop and walk home. But the more I thought about it, I thought, maybe I'll do that. So one day I got off at a different bus stop. I stayed on the bus, saw them there, got off at the next bus stop, and walked home. And it was kind of nice because I didn't get picked on. But I didn't like the half-hour walk from home. So I did that a couple times. <laughs> but then I decided that I was going to get off at the bus stop where they were, and it didn't stop. Not until seventh grade. Um, that's another story, though. But... I heeded the words of somebody. And that's what these magi are doing is, is they, God spoke to them and they decided to follow. And so, you know, kind of a, a far off analogy to that, but, but that right there, I was willing to and open to the leading of somebody else. And that's what we need to be to God is we need to be open to where he calls us and where he directs us. Romans 8 says this. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When I think of this, of a little... Or when I think of this verse right here, I think of a little kid that is pushing a lawnmower behind his dad who's mowing. You know, that kid wants to be like his dad, and he sees his dad mowing, and so he's following his dad's leading in that. Or if I'm at the hardware store and I see a dad with kids, or when my girls were small, we'd go to the hardware store, and if I was picking up something and doing something or looking at lumber, they would pick up lumber and look at it and help me put it in the cart. They wanted to do what I was doing. And, you know, when we are open to God's leading, that's what we are doing, is we want to do, we want to be what Jesus is, or we should anyway. And that is part of being open to God's leading. John 8 says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, the Magi had not been open to God, if they had not been open to God's leading, they may not have known that Herod was up to no good. They may have been deceived by him. And as a result, they may have betrayed Jesus. You know, but their eyes were opened because they were open to God's leading. And that's us too. When we recognize Christ and who he is, we open ourselves up for the leading of God. James 4 says this. It says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, if we are submitting to God, if we are giving everything we have to God, there is less likelihood that we will stumble and we will fall because we are seeking after the truth. It doesn't mean that we won't fall. It doesn't mean that we won't stumble because that happens. But it means that maybe we have a better chance of holding strong and not doing that.
So the first thing that they show us is that we should be open to God's leading. The second thing is that we should be willing to stay the course. No, stay the course. The wise men, they definitely stayed the course. They traveled long and far. We don't know if they traveled six months, a year, two years. We don't really know the exact time, but we know it was a great distance and it was a long time. And we know that not only that, but they had to pour out a lot of money and a lot of other things with it, energy and all that. And so they were willing to go the distance, and they did. They came all the way to Bethlehem from where they lived, and they brought the gifts, and they worshiped God, and they delivered the gifts. They went all the way, and then they had to go home, which meant their trek was not over still. So, <clears throat> James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, sometimes staying the course is easy, but sometimes it's not. Jesus stayed the course, and we can take that as an example and as an encouragement. He was on the Mount of Olives the night before he was to be, or the night he was to be arrested, before he was to be tried, before he was to be crucified. And as he was on that mount, he was struggling with the decision. He was struggling with what was coming up. The Bible tells us that he was so stressed about it that the drops of sweat became like drops of blood. Can you imagine being so stressed that your sweat turns to blood because your capillaries on the surface begin to burst? Not only is that a terrible thought, but I have heard that it's terribly painful. So that not only was he agonizing spiritually and mentally, but then he began agonizing physically from that. But he stayed the course. He said, God, I don't really want to do this. Can you take it away from me? Please just stop it all. Change your plan. Let's go on to something else. But that's not his last comment. He said, but only if it is what you want, not what I want. If this is what you want, then I am willing to do it. Jesus stayed the course. He set the example for us. And that's what we need to do is we need to stay the course with our focus on Christ. First Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kind of suffering, or suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Part of staying on course is standing guard. And the way we stand guard is to keep our eyes open to Christ so that he can reveal the traps and the snares and the speed bumps that are put in front of us by the enemy. Satan would love nothing more for us to fall and to doubt and to question. But if we keep our eyes on Christ and we are willing to follow him and we stay the course, then we can avoid some of those traps. First Chronicles says this. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. In order to stay on course, we, we must be seeking Christ all the time. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, we are able to persevere only because God works within us, within our free wills, and because God is at work in us, we are certain to persevere. So holding the course isn't something we can do on our own power. Staying the course is not something that we can do just by our decision. Staying the course is something we do by giving our life to Christ, by giving 
him control of who we are and what we do, letting him be the reason for the decisions we make, for the actions we take. It is so much more than just a mental decision. It is a heart, a spiritual decision. The third thing that we can learn from the Magi is that we should be determined to praise and worship Jesus. The Magi, when they found Jesus, it says they were filled with joy. And that they went in and then they bowed before him. And they worshipped him. And they gave him gifts. And the royal gifts that they gave him were very indicative of, of who Christ was. They illuminated the different aspects of Christ's identity. The gold revealed his kingship, that he was the king of the Jews. And the frankincense revealed the deity of Christ, that he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the one who would die for our sins. He was the sacrificial lamb. And the sacrificial lamb was really identified by the myrrh for the suffering and the death that Christ would have. And myrrh is what they used to embalm bodies in those days, one of the one of the spices they used for that. And so the three identities of Christ were there. He is the king, he is the Lord, and he is the lamb. Romans 6 says this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. When we make that decision to ask Jesus to come into our life and to forgive us of our sins, and to become the focus of our life, that is our first step of worship. Because giving your life to the Lord is a way of worshiping God and praising God. So from the day that you make the decision to follow Christ, you begin to worship. 1 Corinthians 11 says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, is what Paul is telling us here. A good way to worship and to praise God is to become like Christ. And as our name, Christians, stands for, we are little Christs. We are images of Christ. And in order to worship and praise God, one of the things we can do is to imitate him. You know, as a father, there is nothing that is more pleasing than a kid that imitates the good things that you do. Than a kid that grows up to love the God, Lord the God that you love the way you do, to share the gospel with people. When, when I see my kids sharing the gospel with people, it makes me more proud than anything. When I see my kids standing up for their faith or proclaiming what they believe, whether it's to me or somebody else, it makes my heart jump for joy. And the same thing in God. When we exemplify Christ, when we show Christ to the people we're around and the way we live our life, it is an honor and a praise and a worship to God. Psalm 100 talks about worshiping God. It says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, part of worshiping God is praising God. 
William Barclay told us this. He says, The true and genuine worship is when man, through his spirit, attains to friendship and intimacy with God. True and genuine worship is not to come to a certain place. It is not to go through a certain ritual or liturgy. It is not even to bring certain gifts. True worship is when the spirit of the immortal and invisible part of man speaks to and meets with a God who is immortal and invisible. True worship is not necessarily the songs we sing, not necessarily the way we talk to people. True worship is when our heart truly connects with the heart of God. When our spirit desires and hungers for what God's spirit can give us. That is true worship. And out of that comes our praises and our prayers and our singing. And out of that comes the witness that we put forth to everybody we come in contact with. We don't have the names of the Magi in the Bible. And I think maybe that was on purpose for Matthew. I think he wanted to make sure that the focus wasn't on who the Magi were, but the focus was on Jesus Christ which is where our focus should be. Our focus should be on Jesus Christ. And with that, the rest of life, we will have a better view of. When people look at our lives, do they see a life that is focused on us or do they see a life that is focused on Jesus Christ? You know, we are not the Magi, but we can take their example. We can be open to God's leading. We can be willing to stay the course and we can be determined to praise and worship Jesus with all that we have. I think Psalm 63 entails all three of these, and this is what it says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You know, our body and our life are God's. And they should point to God. They should declare Him. They should honor Him. A true love of God must begin with a delight in His holiness is what Jonathan Edwards tells us. And that is so true. Do you delight in the holiness of God? Now, we started off with New Year's resolutions, and they're absurd. And sometimes we make New Year's resolutions, and most of those are dropped by the wayside as the year goes on. Some of them maybe are fulfilled. But I want to challenge you this year. Let's forego the New Year's resolutions. Let's make one resolution. Let's make Christ our resolution for 2024. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just come to you right now. Lord, there's so many things in life that can distract us. Lord, there are so many things in life that can take away from what you really are. But God, you are faithful. And nothing that takes place here on earth changes who you are and what you are. Or how much you love us. How much you are willing to give for us. So we are so thankful that you sent Jesus Christ to take the place as a sacrificial lamb, 
to pay the price for our sin, to draw us back to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Pray, Lord, that uh, this year that we would be able to make you our resolution, that it would be you that people see when they look at us. Lord, that it would be you that we proclaim. It would be you that we honor in all that we do. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.